Welcome to The Twelfth Story, a book discussion podcast produced by Cincinnati's Mercantile Library, where readers gather to engage, connect, debate, and discuss. The Mercantile Library is 180 years old and is the literary center of Cincinnati. Throughout the year, the Mercantile Library hosts authors and speakers, book discussion groups, and other civic events. We're a working library with more than 75,000 books available to members. We're located at 414 Walnut Street in downtown Cincinnati and online at mercantilelibrary.com. We always welcome new members and guests. I'm Grace Dobush, a uh, Patron-level member of the library, and joining us today in the reading room on the 12th story of the Mercantile Building are Austin Radcliffe, author of the upcoming book, Things Organized Neatly, and Brendan Call, a Mercantile board member. Hello, guys. Hello. Hi. And today we are talking about The Giver by Lois Lowry. Uh, and a warning, there will be spoilers discussed today, so proceed at your own discretion. But this book was published in 1993, so if you haven't read it yet, I mean, it, there's nothing we can do for you. That's right. Anyways, um, so <laughs> we've... You're not like read a big <laughs> spoiler alert. Spoilers, book. maybe spoilers need like a 30-year grace period, <laughs> I guess. Right. That's right. Um, yeah, so this book, it's a YA novel. Um, uh, we, uh, I read it as a, as a kid. Did you guys... Yeah, in grade fourth, fifth, sixth grade, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. Yes, I, I mean, I'm ver- fairly certain I read it. <laughs> I, f- I mean, I f- it felt familiar, and as I was reading it, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. But it's been a very long time. Yeah. How did it feel reading, going back to it? Certainly different. There was a lot that I picked up on as an adult um, that I probably missed as a kid, or things struck me differently. But then other parts that stuck out very specifically such as the apple turning red that mm-hmm. i remembered from childhood yeah i mean i read it i remember reading it over and over again because i loved it so much when i was a kid i probably read it like fifth grade or something like that and that actually would have been when it came out which tells you exactly how old i am right. um <laughs> the <laughs> but it i i later read a lot of dystopian fiction um reading Fahrenheit 451 and Animal Farm in 1984 were also books that I reread over and over. And so I think I have um, like a fondness for this, like the first album that I ever bought or the first concert I ever went to, right? It's one of your old favorites. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I, I, I felt like it was just, I, f- I felt uh, justified rather in, in liking it so much when I reread it again. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, like this was an awesome book. Like I'm not just imagining this. I I th- I felt like there. I think I'm with you, Austin. I think there was a lot that I I know that I would not have gotten uh, when I was a kid. Say I, say I read it in the fifth grade. Um, mm-hmm. I think that there's some kind of political civic stuff that is even more interesting right now, and we might even get into that in this discussion um, about society. That I'm sure I didn't have those kind of conversations with my fifth grade teacher and. <laughs> In elementary school, like what uh, type of conversation Dublin, might you have with your <laughs> with your fifth grade teacher um, now? And then there was some <laughs> stuff in the book that it was really surprising to me, like the, um, you know, the the scenes when they when they send people, um, what do they call it at the end, where they where they oh release release when they release people, and the baby release scene was awfully vivid and and um, kind of horrifying. Um, that it surprised me that that the book was um, not not as controversial. Um, well, I think it is a, off a frequently <laughs> challenged book still. 
I mean, I, I was on the web last night, like getting ready for this, and I was like focused on the family, had a page on this, and it didn't, it didn't like say don't read this book or anything, and I was kind of expecting. A was little it more bit like, of, like warning? Yeah, some violent scenes, those sorts of things. But I mean, like that's that scene is a f- fairly difficult scene to read. I mean, even as an adult, it's mm-hmm. kind of horrifying to read. No, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> he puts a needle in the baby's head, and yeah, it's just—it's kind of a very sad thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The kids watching his dad do it—I mean, that was a tough, tough scene t- to read. Um, I was surprised that I—that that was an elementary school um, novel. <laughs> parts of it. I, I know that makes me sound like really f- conservative and fuddy-duddy, and I'm not. Um, well, that's it. Just like I don't remember that from the. Yeah, film I thing. mean, that's the funny thing about YA novels, though, and I think maybe why. Um, so many adults find them comforting to read. Or, I mean, it's an easy read, right? You, you read, read it in, it like, on two my hours On my phone, I'm like... Yeah, I mean, it's... it's Digesting it is easy, but the concepts, like, kids at, at, in the YA, in the, you know, 9 to 13 age range, they want to be challenged. They want to explore things that are kind of, like, taboo. Or, right, like, these right. are, mm. like, the beginnings of, like, secrets from your parents. And I feel like maybe that's why it felt so... I felt such a strong attachment to it. Yeah, that's a good point. I noticed also it's sort of leading by example in some way, like communicating to the kids reading this of breaking out of the norms or expectations and things like that. You see this kid who, to a young adult reading it, this would be, Jonas would be their peer going through Mm -hmm. these things that are a little beyond us. And the giver says several times, like, this is going to be heavier. This is over your head, but this is life. Right. And so those moments... uh, were certainly more uh, vivid to me reading it mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, as an adult. You mentioned like the political side to it. Yeah. So the line that I highlighted in the book was, you know, they're talking about going through the. Um, there, there's a scene where he says, uh, um, he 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 says about colors and what happens if he could choose, and they they're going back and forth, and Jonas says. Um, what if they were allowed to choose their own mate and chose wrong? Or what if they chose their own jobs? Frightening, isn't it? The giver said. Jonas chuckled. Very frightening. I can't even imagine it. We really have to protect people from wrong choices. And, you know, that is a political statement right there. I mean, when, as they're talking about the society that is imagined in, the, in this book. And um, I, I could see someone who has their own kind of political agenda using this kind of a conversation and this kind of a novel to f- kind of further their agenda in terms of saying, you know, here are the dangers of having some sort of a big central government that says that you have to do this or you have to be, you know, like it's, e- it's, it's um, you know, this is, this is what happens if you get on a slippery slope towards having some you know, big authoritarian society that governs everybody's behavior. Yeah, I think you could also use it for a alternate kind of um, argument against a, uh, you know, perhaps a small government, but that has like a large hand in morality or social standards, because that's kind of where I saw that you could use this as an argument against, you know, uh, policing people's choices. Right, right. Keep the government out of my bedroom, but... You know all those those sorts of things, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Should uh, uh, sh- we we d- we dove right into this? Um, and I feel like if you're listening to this, you've probably read it. Yes. But should we do like a quick or overview of what what yeah. goes on in the book? Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. I think you've, you've read, read it the most. No, no, no. You've read it the many most <laughs> times. 
You read it the most times. I, I feel like I'm, I I did not prepare as thoroughly as you guys did. Let me see if this, I can though. do the quick summary, yeah. and then you guys can say smart things about it. Um, <laughs> so the story is about Jonas, who is um, basically 11 years old. He's an 11, um, which is what they call him in the book, um, their, their class that they're with. And um, he, it, it, the big kind of the book turns on when Jonas becomes a 12, which is when everybody in the society that they are in, which you get right at the beginning, is kind of a controlling, um, you don't have a lot of free will, you don't have a lot of choice in your life. Kind of brave um, new worldy. Yeah, brave new worldy is a great way to put it. Um, the, the, the book centers on this ceremony that they have when everyone advances one year, and the 11s become 12s, and that's when they get their career, basically. Uh, and so at the 12s, at the ceremony, which I don't remember what the actual ceremony was called, um, everybody gets assigned their job, and one person gets to be assigned caretaker of the old, and one person is the recreation director, and another person's in the engineer, and Jonas becomes the receiver, right? Mm -hmm. And the receiver's job is to meet with the previous receiver, who upon a new receiver being named becomes the giver. And the giver basically passes on all of the memories of the society to um, the new receiver. And the memories of the society are memories that have been lost or are gone, and that the only person who has access to them, and they are memories of things um, as uh, significant as war and as basic as cold or uh, color, because apparently in the book you don't see color. Uh, and you talked about that, Austin, with the part about being seeing red, which is a kind of a point in the book where you realize that Jonas has this kind of special ability because he can kind of see color. He says things change, which is a big point in the book. So he becomes the um, receiver, and he starts to take all of these memories for the society. And um, that's really what happens. And it's about his journey as he's, he's learning all of these things, and he becomes burdened by all of the memories of the um, community that no one else has access to. Mm -hmm. He sees the world in a completely different way. No one else does. He's the only one who understands what's really going on, kind of matrixy maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then about what he does with this. So that how's that? Yeah. Yeah. Th I think that's perfect. That was my fourth grade book report on. The Aww, thanks on for the bringing giver. it. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> I found it. <laughs> What was the grade that you got, though? I'm sure not very good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure very good. <laughs> you know, I, the, the thing that stands out to me now about The Giver is how much it informed all of the dystopian YA novels from the past five years. Um, the Hunger Games, the Divergent series, all of the dozens of different offspring of of these Hunger Games wannabes, like, I feel like they can all trace their genealogy back to this book specifically. And there have been others along the way, right, that we're just not even naming. I mean, there's sure, I mean... Dystopian YA novels are have been around a while, right? Mm. Well, I feel like this was the first one to really be mainstream. Right, but then since, like, between since then and between this and Hunger Games, there have been others. Probably, but I couldn't name any of them. None to as big you. as those yeah. two kind of bookends. Yeah, and I think to some extent the, the Hunger Games... Uh, really, we were talking about how kids in this age group, they want to learn about things that were previously closed off to them or things that seem taboo. And I think that the Hunger Games, to a large extent, were um, 
playing into the fears that kids had during the financial crisis. And like, that's, that's my, like, I've, I've thought a lot about this. Um, like the Hunger Games and the Divergent series and everything came out during the financial crisis. And I think they were so popular because it's a scary time and these kids maybe don't know how they're processing it. And so um, they don't know how to deal with it. And I think that, um, this dystopian fiction is kind of an escape, but also kind of a way to process, like, the world is more complicated than I thought it was. Like, what what do I do now? I think that's a great point. I mean, I, I was thinking about modern YA. I don't read a ton of YA, but I'm aware of it. And I did read The Hunger Games. I, th I thought the first one was incredible. I was hate reading by the third one. Right, exactly. <laughs> I think most people were. Um, but I kept thinking how much better the YA novels that I have read since are than this. I felt like this was so short and part of the beauty of it is the spare language. Like it is very basic, like you pointed out. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's like, it's simple sentence structure. It's very it, it concise. Very concise. I mean, you know. Um, I think that speaks a little bit uh, to I the I think that's her point. That's the way she yeah. writes. But like, this book written today would be 700 pages long. It would I be a trilogy like. also. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that like back in the early 90s and in the 80s, a YA novel was a one-off, you know, this one awards of various sorts. You know, it was a literary item unto itself, whereas now there's a whole machine that uh, churns out more YA novels. But and there, so there were sequels to this. Yeah. And Jonas comes back later on, apparently. Mm -hmm. I read this And they're good. They I've are? read them. Mm-hmm. But they never really hit like a trilogy like the books of today. No, and it was written much later also. Um, yeah. It wasn't like the Hunger Games where the books come out one year after the other and they're turned into motion pictures immediately. And right. Everything like that. Like, this was turned into a motion picture, but decades, decades later. later right. And the books that came out were years later. And they honestly kind of stand on their own pretty well. It's it's not leaving you. It's leaving you with a little bit of a cliffhanger, of course, like any dystopian novel does. It leaves you wondering... Well, are they okay at the end? But the um, and she says clearly in any interview she's done, yes, they were. <laughs> like, she, but it does leave you hanging. Yeah, <laughs> which is weird that then she would be so like blatant about it and attempt to just put it in there if, if that's what. <laughs> funny um, did you like the end? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice the way it, I mean, uh, really comes together. With a nice bow, uh, the one of the early memories was sledding, and um, snow on his face, and all these things come up in the last couple of pages where it's like, oh yeah, so this is all now really happening, and that's where I started thinking Matrix too. Mm. That he's out of the bubble, yeah, and and experiencing things for himself. I think that is really truly why this is such a good book and as I reflect on it you have to give her credit for the way in which she did it because it is a spare novel there isn't a ton to it it the scenes go very fast there's not like um, a lot of hemming and hawing about like at the point where the giver decides to help the receiver Jonas become basically bolt the, the community there's not a lot a lot to that it's just like they snap they decide they're going to do, do that. We should do that. Yeah, mm -hmm. Right. You. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I feel like in a, in a novel written today, there would be a lot more, you know, mm -hmm. back and forth on that. And there would Will be they, won't they? Will they almost get caught. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're plotting, planning, and then mm -hmm. there would be much more scene setting and other players. And 
mm-hmm. you know, even in the movie, by the way, the preview of the movie looked like the romance between him and um, Fiona or whatever, whatever his, his in, like the girl that he was thought was cute, Jonas thought was cute, was played up much more in the movie. Right. But she doesn't do that. She's just very, she's just very like, it's just a very clean, um, beautifully written novel. And I think, Grace, your point that it inspired so much else and that I think you called it the grandfather or grandmother of these novels mm-hmm. is a real testament to, to what she was able to do. Mm-hmm. And I think Jonas is kind of like a vessel as well, right? Like, uh, he's, you get a sense of his personality, but a lot of what he's, you don't, but he's not, they don't build out so much of his personality that you, you might not identify with him. I feel like any kid reading the book is like, like I w- I want I I would be brave like that. Like I think I could do that. Like right. you, it's 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 vague enough that any kid reading it can put themselves into his shoes, yeah. which is uh, again like it's a real skill to be able to do that. Yeah, yeah. That was another thing I definitely thought about was the communication to the reader, and kind of um, instructing or showing in a similar way to the giver, you know, transmitting life experiences. It's like. Here's the kid who's going through stuff. Obviously, all like nine to thirteen year olds go through a lot. Right. <laughs> stirrings. <laughs> they have stirrings. <laughs> stirrings at night. That's right. So um, such a great word. <laughs> I like that it was always capitalized too. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was a nice um, coming of age sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there were a lot of parents who were like get the question what are stirrings now like jesus christ <laughs> young adult <laughs> fiction <laughs> i don't know that my parents ever read this book no i don't either. i mean I f- and i feel like i had such an emotional attachment I, I feel like it's a book that i probably like you know like kept to myself like i didn't mm. you know <laughs> i didn't want my parents to read it because it's my book yeah you know my parents definitely would have uh because they were in elementary education. Oh, <laughs> my yeah. My dad was a fourth grade teacher when this came out. Um, and I remember, I don't know if it was through family or in the classroom, but another thing I remember specifically from approaching this book and the challenging topics that are in it are the elderly people being bathed and that that was a very normalized thing. I think it was in the classroom. It was made clear to us that this is normal in their society and it's like the old people become like babies and people wash them and there's nothing... Uh, you know, nothing funny going on. Mm. Were there questions or something that had led to that? Mm, maybe, or maybe preemptively, mm. I don't know, maybe the year before or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I bought it at the uh, bookstore, I remember the guy, I don't know what he was referring to, but it might have been, been that, uh, that he said, oh, that's, that's a little controversial for young kids or something. I made mention <laughs> of having read it in fourth <laughs> or fifth grade, and he was like, oh, really? Mm. Um no, if I remember correctly, it's one of the most challenged books to this day from, okay. you know, um, people who yeah, like to ban books. Yeah, you said that, um, yeah. who, So what know. do they cite? What do you think those issues are? Oh, my gosh. I think probably, like, everything, right? Like, I mean, killing babies. Killing babies, washing old people, um, challenging authority. Like, Right. Why well, I'm going to be, oh, I, I'm going to regret this, maybe. What, why is the washing of old people? What? Um... I think because they're nude and bathing. I mean, oh. uh, just young adults bathing yeah, older okay. people. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, and f- foreign to a young adult. I got it. Yeah, and and perhaps yeah. I mean, it, it's it's interesting. Like the, I'm assuming that Lois Lowry is American. Um, 
but I was I was uh, in Iceland this summer and in the public baths there, you everyone the 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 bathing areas are divided by gender the the sure. changing rooms right and everyone has to get completely naked and shower off before getting in the hot pots and so it's completely normalized that everyone in there from little children to very old people mm-hmm. are all in there you know showering off and getting ready to go jump in the hot tub and it's a very normal thing and i found that so so wonderful like it's just such a a like wonderful kind of experience to you know be um you know, just to get an impression, just to realize that all bodies are different and yeah. as they age, bodies are very different and there's no such thing as normal or yeah. whatever. And um, so to that extent, I think that um, anybody who would challenge this book on that ground is it's, yeah. it's bullshit. But <laughs> Right. I think, I think the bathhouse culture is something that's been lost in American society. Definitely. But you're right. It's, yeah. it's We're a, cool a little part too puritanical like for yeah. any European of that and stuff. World culture. I mean, yeah. bring back bathhouses. I mean, that's the key message. That's that's our ta- that's our takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are, good lord. Uh, there's um, there. I have, I'm in a book club, and we reread. Uh, other than this book club. Other other than this book club, what? I want to tell you. Why? Yes. Um, <laughs> we reread uh, the Great Gatsby. This was like a year ago, and I remember thinking when I when we reread that and had a, our conversation about it that conversation was really great and stimulating and I remember thinking that the book was lost on me as a high schooler when we read Mm -hmm. it the first time and I kind of felt that way with this too like there was clearly so much else going on here that 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 for a fourth or fifth or sixth grader they're not getting Mm -hmm. there you know I almost wish that um, from a school schooling education perspective that we would encourage people to go back and reread books like this at different times in their oh life. Yeah. Like, if this is on the sixth grade curriculum, it should also be on the senior and high school curriculum. And That's read it again point. before you go away to college, or read it again when you're in college. Totally, because you could write some, you know, you could write a hell of a good term paper. On Absolutely, this, right? especially if you're late juxtap- at night <laughs> drinking <laughs> Keystone Light or something. I would, be, I could write an awesome term paper. On I mean, especially if you juxtapose it with more adult novels like The Handmaid's Tale, like very, I feel like very similar in their scope. You know, in in terms of questioning authority, and it, it's also a coming of age tale, Rule, but in the a, rules that society yeah, makes for you. Like uh, that would be an amazing term paper. Like right? compare those two. Makes books. me want to go back to grad school or something. <laughs> Just to get drunk and write about the giver. <laughs> the well, maybe that's an activity that we can. <laughs> maybe that's an activity that we can institute um, just for mercantile members. <laughs> right. Late night yes. term paper cram sessions. That's exactly right. Just because then we give each other grades. It's a new activity for the mercantile library. Yeah. Can podcasts, you give us grades? And term paper writing. <laughs> <laughs> Be really terrific. Oh, oh yeah, I guess we could kind of turn it into like a term paper mill. Even I mean, you know, we are like we're we could sell it. This is a profit yeah. center for the library. There we go. It could be a fundraiser. There That'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Have some drunk adults who write your term papers. Right. It is tax which, deductible donation. <laughs> speaking of which, uh, um, when I was getting ready for this, um, on the pl- I had read this on my phone, on my Kindle app on my phone, which, by the way, we could talk about some other time, too, how I weird that was on an iPhone to I read love a book. It. Um, I was Googling, like, the giver reviews, and I read the original New York Times reviews of this. There are not a ton of reviews on this, but there are a ton of like what we we're just talking about, those term papers. And there's like, 
you know, like somebody posts a blog about it and then you can see related search terms and you know those search terms are just eighth graders looking for like <laughs> how to write the paper about the gift that they have to it's due right. in four hours. That may class. be another listener we've picked up too in doing right? this podcast. Yeah, I mean, actually. We need, to, we need a search engine to optimize this podcast because <laughs> it will go yeah. off the charts. The giver term paper. What is the giver? How to write giver <laughs> term paper. Giver review. <laughs> what is the giver Meaning about? of the giver, the giver, the giver. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, you were mentioning the movie. Um, have you seen the movie? No, I didn't see they the movie. I watched the preview, which is a very, very long preview. Mm-hmm. And we were... It was I mean, this is coming from three people who have not seen the movie, right. but it looked pretty crappy, right? Is that what we were talking about? Uh, yeah. There was, there was a quick mention in the email thread of, should we watch this? And there wasn't much interest. And I looked I up know. the trailer, too, and I was like, all right, I'll just yeah. keep this book podcast about the book. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I agree. And I'm guessing, actually, that the movie of The Giver came out after The Hunger Games. So it's That's actually a kind of go thing. back I feel like I and that capitalize on the dystopian... Um, trend i'm pretty sure that that timeline is correct um that's interesting that makes a lot of sense though the giver movie came out in 2014 mm-hmm. so yeah that would yep. be mm-hmm. post yeah hunger games was starting what 2011 2012 probably it says that taylor swift was in it which can that be <laughs> Jeff Bridges, Meryl Streep, of course. <laughs> oh my God! Meryl Streep, Katie Holmes. Do we want to talk about Katie Holmes in The Giver? I feel like that's a whole other conversation. Seriously, okay. I think we do need to watch Katie this movie Holmes and then regroup like Tom next month. Bruce <laughs> and then does a movie about The Giver. She's like, I got this. <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> and then some like kid who very clearly was they were hoping would turn into like. You know, hanging on posters in young teenage girls' rooms. For sure. Which which guy is yeah. that? Like yeah, that's clearly I've what never, going for. I've never heard of that guy. Act or not. Yeah, probably not. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, I would hope for the movie to be great, but considering that I never heard of anybody talking about it, I worry do you that think it the, was not good. Do you think the Hunger Games movies were good? Uh, I wasn't. You seem really to be a devotee. I I would consider myself a connoisseur of YA dystopian fiction. Yeah, yeah, right. um, <laughs> the movies I felt were a little disappointing, uh, mainly because I felt like it worked too much in the close-up, and also the costumes weren't as great as they should have been. But All you right. know, it's a fun time. It's a fun movie, whatever. But um, I wasn't like blown away by them. I had issues. I just expected more. But yeah. I, I, d- I only watched the first one. <laughs> did you watch it? Uh, no, I've seen did none of it. Did you read The Hunger Games? Nope. I think you should read the first one. I tell people to read the it's first one. It's a fun one. It's a fun book. It must be great if everyone loves it so much. Yeah. I'm oh, yes. one who, when it gets that popular, before I even like, really know what it's about, I kind of don't even bother. You fight it. <laughs> you fight the popularity. Yeah. Of it. Yeah. I can see that. But it's a, it's a type of book that if you were like in bed sick for a couple days go for it like could, this yeah. book will keep you from being bored um i mean you could probably read all three of them over the course of like a flu three to five days yeah over the course of a flu <laughs> it's about flu length the entire trilogy great that's awesome <laughs> they should have a section at the joseph bath oh they like, should flu sick? length books about to get sick get your orange juice and your flu trilogy <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, pretty soon Amazon will be able to anticipate when we're getting sick yes. and just go ahead and ship it to us. <laughs> or get one of those little dash buttons people and who press ordered it and it sends you a also looked at. <laughs> right. As soon as you put yeah. the, as soon as you put Hunger Games in your cart, it suggests Vicks Vapo Run to go along with this. And a crate of Kleenex. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think this is a great idea, honestly. It really is. I think we've, we need to get in call them about their algorithm. Yeah. <laughs> here's Amazing. an un, here's an unusual segue. I was I this book made me think about big data and big big companies like the Amazons and the Facebooks mm. who know a lot about mm -hmm. us and who are like up in the cloud and have been, you know, are are really providing Facebook especially some sort of societal structure. Mm -hmm. um, and I kept thinking about there was these series about um, memories and the, I mean the whole book is really based on memories and what mm -hmm. you're allowed to remember and my Facebook is annoyingly uh, attuned to the fact that when I wake up in the morning it'll show me my memories from three years right. ago that day right. but it's like picking <laughs> what it wants me to see yeah. from that yeah. like for example day. it won't show you memories from someone that you broke up with is that right? Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because like the year that I broke up with somebody, like most of my memories from that year, like you know the year in review, right? My most popular picture should have been the two of us together, but it knew that we broke up because we canceled the relationship, right. and so it didn't show me wow. any of those pictures because it knew it would be upsetting. So to me. this is like yeah. there is part of me that reads this novel and then thinks about like some of the things it's warning about it, uh, warning us about. Yeah, happen. sheltering from memories. Mm -hmm. and sheltering from memory. I mean, that year in review mm -hmm. things are great when I didn't even think about that. Like, it picks and chooses what oh, you're yeah. supposed to remember. And mm -hmm. then we share it with everybody. Mm -hmm. And, like, in a way, that is manipulating our own... Oh, most definitely. ...our own world and what we remember. And I do believe, I think there's some science around this. But I'm sure, let's just say that there's some science around this. Um, when we science have shows. some science shows, <laughs> when we... Um, when we have something like Facebook or Google that serves to augment our memory, we we forget things. We say, oh, I don't have to remember that. Mm -hmm. I don't have to remember when The yeah. Giver came out because I'll just Google it real right. quick. I don't or, have to remember the names of the presidents. Right. I, I don't have it. to remember the names of my cousin's kids mm -hmm. because I'll just look on Facebook or my and phone, it'll show Anybody's me. phone number. All my phone numbers right. are in there. Yeah. And so are we, in a sense seeding our memories to something that we have a lack of control over. And that would actually make a really great term paper talking about <laughs> The Giver and The Circle by Dave Eggers. The Circle, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. There, There is a direct that connection be between the two paper. books, right? Yeah, compare, oh, for sure. Compare and contrast. For Dave sure, Eggers. except, of course, in, in The Circle, um, we don't really have a happy ending. Yes, right? Yeah, yeah. She, yeah, there's, there's a lot more fight in Jonas, in The Giver, yes, than there is yes. He in he's releases the protagonist. All the memories, right? Yeah. Yeah. That would make a great term paper, though. Maybe we should go back to grad school. Does the data thing scare you all? Like, I mean, you guys live in this world. You have Facebook, and you have... I'm very two. much on the internet. I, it's definitely weird to watch it happen. Things I was Googling three days ago pop up in my Facebook ads. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. But I've also learn to kind of use it for good, I guess, yeah. in my own, a lot of what I do professionally is 
emailing and things like that. But. Right. Like I can't imagine going offline entirely. And I, I feel like people, um, people tend to get um, a little doomsday about Google or Facebook being evil or whatever. Yes. I do think that I have gotten a lot more selective in what I post online publicly. Mm-hmm. I've gotten a lot more, I share a lot more with groups of friends in iMessage or in private Facebook groups than I do publicly on Twitter or Facebook where anyone can see it. Right. And in a way that's also like a selective memory, right? Like, I don't know. I, I, I think it's a, a kind of conscious uh, escalation of privacy on my part. Yeah, I think I, you're right. There is great potential for these um, giver or 1984 sort of scenarios um, with how much information we're giving to the cloud or whatever. To whatever that is. Yeah. Series of tubes. Yeah. Um, somebody told me the Library of Congress is saving all Twitter. Tweets. Public tweet. tweets, yeah. Tweet. Uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. That's horrifying to me. <laughs> Yeah. At the same time, it, we need some type of record, right? This is ephemeral in a way. You know, if Twitter servers went down, I mean, I know they probably have backups on backups on backups, but if Twitter were to suddenly not exist, that's a hell of a lot of uh, human experience just lost. That's but true. I guess the other question is, do we need to save everything? Do we need to save all of the memories of oh, the world? I don't know. Does the libra- is the Library of Congress what... Is it, the, is it the... The Library of Congress is the giver. You <laughs> 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 do with a straight face. That's exactly right. They're going to release all the memories on us. So 50 years from now, they're going to release all these tweets, and we're going to be like, oh, my God, what was I doing? I don't want to remember. <laughs> we'll have to elect a receiver and <laughs> yes. just let all them deal with it. Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <to> punish him. <laughs> Maybe the spawn of Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. So, I mean, are there any any other takeaways that you guys want to mention before we um, wrap this baby up? Anything that really sticks with you? Mm. Yeah, I think we covered it pretty well. That's not a good podcast. Ending. Come <laughs> 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 back and think of something. Um, <laughs> It's all look. I mean, you know, it's only 180 pages, um, and I think you could do a lot of what we've been doing here with this, um, you know, conversation about ter- what you know, term papers and compare and contrast, and talking about the matrix and those sorts of things with this book. Um, but it, you know, I think we talked about the beauty of the language that she uses, which we've kind of hit upon. I mean, it is a really lovely written novel. Mm. Um, and if anyone hasn't read the following books, Gathering Blue is one of them. Is there another follow-up? I, I think there was. I think don't because you don't, get back to, you don't get back to Jonas until the very, I think she said like the fourth or something novel. And that's when he shows back up and you realize that he and the baby that he saved, mm-hmm. um, yeah. whose name right. was G- Gabriel, mm-hmm. um, She's she wrote an introduction that was in the in my version that I would recommend to anybody reading listening here who wants to go back and revisit this book, which it sounds to me like we all would encourage people to do that it would be sure, worth yeah. going mm-hmm. back to revisit. Absolutely. I, I think it would be a great book club book. Um, you know It goes very fast. Our book clubs gen, 
are, are typically like copious amounts of wine is consumed and then we, we talk about a novel. I think this would be a great discussion after oh, copious for sure. amounts of wine. For sure. And I recommend too that anybody who re- reads The Giver or rereads it works with like goes to the follow-up books as well because I found them very satisfying just to know because you end the book and you're so in this world and it seems to be ending on a positive note but it leaves you wanting more and then it you does. get more. And it does. And unlike the sequels in the Hunger Games or the Div- Divergent series, the end of the, the Divergent series, I hated it so yeah. much. I couldn't actually finish the last book, but it remains a very lovely ending to the entire scenario. Yeah. I, I didn't... Um, I, I felt like you walked away... Th- I had a lot on my mind after reading it, and I think, like with many dystopian novels, with any of this kind of, uh, you know, like Matrix, Fahrenheit, 451, 1984 books that we've referenced here today. Um, by the way, I would have loved, side note, I would have loved to have somebody who's done a lot of Anne Rand, Anne Rand reading, which I've never done. I, you don't have the patience for it, I don't have the patience for it. I don't know if you've ever done it. But I, I, I would, my suspicion based on what I know about those It'd novels be a killer term paper. is it would be interesting to, yes, exactly, okay. The Giver. And I don't know if you've ever read those books, but there's a lot of folks who, you know, talk about those books as being like leading to some sort of a libertarian society, like that, that making the case that that's the right thing. There is part of that to this book, that the idea that, you know, there's a central organization in this book that controls people's lives. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I've gone all around the bend to say that um, she has a written, I think on the 20th anniversary of the book, writ- wrote a lovely foreword um, that talks a little bit about the reaction that she's received to the book and how more than anything she's ever written, and she's written dozens and dozens mm-hmm. of books and I think still writes, um, she still gets letters from the giver, mm-hmm. sometimes 20 a week, she says. Wow. She talks about people who've written her and saying, this is why I named my child Gabriel, and she's written people who've written to her who are angry about certain parts of the novel. <laughs> but that's really a testament to say, you're in your 80s, the book's nearly 25 years old, and you're still getting letters about it, yeah, passionate amazing. letters about it. It's pretty awesome. That's we can only hope to ever write like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, I mean, if you have strong thoughts about the book, send us an email. Chris Messick would love to hear all of your thoughts yes. about that book Tweet and about us. this podcast. Tweet at us. It's Mercantile Lib, Lib um, on all the social networks. And um, you know, thanks for joining us on The Twelfth Story. We encourage you to subscribe via your preferred podcast app. We're available on the iTunes Store and on SoundCloud. If you like listening, tell us. Tell us. Tell your friends. Tweet it. Today's podcast was directed and engineered by Chris Messick. Special thanks to our guests. Austin Radcliffe and Brendan Call. Twelfth Story is a production of the Mercantile Library in downtown Cincinnati. Our theme music was created by Doug McDiamond, McDermid. Don't forget to visit us online at mercantilelibrary.com where you can learn about our library and our upcoming events. Have a great week. <laughs>